When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest weekly podcast. The gang is nearly back all here, really. And uh, actually, three of us, but it's, a, it's an incredible threesome, frankly. It really is. And it's wonderful, wonderful to have my colleague Andy. Absolutely, after a little little sojourn, really. But um, uh, uh, And also Jeremy Cross, of course, my, my dear colleague and friend. Um, and lots to look at, actually. Lots to look back upon really and um sort of digest really he's, he's been a, he's been a good week of carabao cup action starting with um with everton's near miss last night and lucky escape but also back to the premier league weekend this week arsenal man united what a game that is really kicking off the weekend with luton west ham should be plenty of kind of down memory lane stories about kennel of the road um and transfers of course and an england squad so um Lots to go at um, this week, but should we perhaps then start with um, the Arsenal Man United game, guys? Because I do, I do think that perhaps it's almost a bit of an acid test, isn't, isn't it? Really, for Arsenal and Manchester United as to where they are. Mikel Arteta's tinkering against Eric Ten Hag's slightly stop starts start to to the campaign. Jesse, you've seen a lot of United so far, haven't you? I mean, what, what do you make of United? Um, you know, and, and where they are, where they're positioned, and will it be the same? Do you think after the transfer window shuts? I guess that's key, isn't it? In, particularly in midfield. It, I mean, it's a shame this so early because it's hard to judge where both teams are at. Really, after just three games, but I will see United have blooded around. Their father lost to Tottenham, um, and there were there were two goals down to Forest last weekend. So, um, it's. It doesn't look convincing so far from United and, you know, we'll probably come on to their transfers later in the show, but I just think if you're a United fan, you don't see that they've signed anyone with Mainchy Serp and think, you know, we are going to make a real fist of the title challenge this season. I just don't see it from United. I think a top four finish would be great for them again um, because that's where they're at. They're still a work in progress under Ten Hag. And, you know, they've clearly had difficulties in this summer offloading players, i.e. Harry Maguire, um, who's still a United player. Um, they don't have... I mean, I'm, I was just coming to Twitter last night and some fans were saying, we just don't have the money to spend on the signings we want to make before the window closes tomorrow. So I think that might be 
partly true, but the other side of the equation is that the Glazers, who still own the club, don't want to be splashing out big money before the weekend. So, you know, that, that leaves a club <clears throat> of their stature scrambling around to sign a left back because they haven't got one due to bad luck, pretty much, for injuries to Luke Shaw and Malassia. Um, Varane has been ruled out this week for a month at least. So they go to Arsenal pretty much in a bit of disarray, really. And I think if Arsenal, you know, they've made a solid start to the season, if not spectacular, I think they'd be strong favourites to win. So, you know, I think it's a game United cannot afford to lose um, more than Arsenal. But I think if I was turning like I'd take a point right now. Well, yeah. Do you see that that uh, that way, Andy? I mean, do you, do you feel that, you know, United have, have done enough? I actually thought that, that basically they'd make, you know, progress and build on our seasons, really, this this term. It's hard to know, though, at this stage, Bell, isn't it? It is It is hard to know. But I, I, what I would say is that um, they probably played better in in defeated Spurs than they did in, in victory over Wolves in the opening game. You know, it's been three games, they've got two wins, so you can't really, and they've come back from 2-0 down, as Jeremy mentioned, against Forest. So, you know, two wins out of three isn't that bad. But what's interesting, when Jesse said there about it's a game, you know, and they can't afford to lose, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it, us saying that, us talking about it as being a game neither side can afford to lose, and it's only the fourth game of the season. But the problem there is that the standards that Manchester City have set. So we're assuming that City will go 4-4 this weekend. And then all of a sudden, if, you, if United were to lose at the Emirates, there's six points behind City, assuming City win. There's six points behind City. And we all know now that City are setting standards that are that we haven't seen before. You, you, you know, you're thinking you know, mid-90s points is now... The standard is the benchmark that City have set. Liverpool got that and didn't even win the title a couple of seasons ago. You know, it, and, and that's the pressure that is put on people by the incredible standards that City have set. Going back to the start of the two teams, I think that um, the the sorts of not the doubts, but the, the sort of negative comments about Arteta tinkering are overblown, and I think the doubts about Manchester United being, you know. Um, not in the great shape, are overblown. I think United are okay. I think they created a lot of chances against Spurs. They created a lot of chances against Forest, albeit conceded a lot of chances as well. They are a work in progress. They have got injuries, and I think they'll be okay. But, but um, again, neither side looks to me, right at this moment, in this early stage of the season, as though they've made the significant improvements that is needed to bridge that gap to Manchester City. I think they're both fine. That I think they'll both obviously be top four um strong contenders, but neither are probably bridged that gap. And don't forget what they're trying to do, again in Arsenal's case, and and you know, you're probably better qualified to speak about this, but if Arteta's changing things, he's doing it because he knows that that in the end they 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 didn't capitulate last season, but they didn't see it through. And those small gains, those, you know, for want of a better phrase, marginal gains is needed to get up to City. He's trying to find them. So he's trying, that's why he's tinkering. He's trying to find the the lift from being very good to being excellent, which is what the level of City are. Crossy, do you, do you think if Declan Rice had been in that Arsenal team last season, they might have won the title, would it have made that little bit of difference that they needed? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting because I think you know if you transplanted sort of kind of you know rice in, instead of jaca, you know, which is probably arguably what you would have done last season, sort of kind of party uh, played well for two thirds of the season, fell away quite alarmingly at the end. Then I think rice, you know, would have perhaps given you a bit more presence and on the pitch. But Xhaka was good overall, you know, so he can't really. But he wouldn't. It would have given them a bit more presence. I think a little bit more. You know, on the pitch, the game that really struck me where the difference between the two teams was Man City Arsenal at, at the Emirates, uh, sorry, at um, the Etihad during the running, and I just felt as if Arsenal, God, they looked like rabbits caught in the headlights. Basically, I mean, it was just oh, embarrassing. And I tell you what, the thing that got struck me that night was they had no presence and physicality on the pitch. They, they were completely overrun, and they didn't have anyone there to sit on the ball and just go, we're getting, you know, murdered here, basically, and we just need to take the sting out of the game. I'm going to keep the ball for five minutes. And basically, you know, that that is what that is the rice factor for me. And has he found yet the, the right solution to kind of balance the midfield and the team? I'm not sure that he has. I mean, I've written today, you know, wrote something yesterday for today's paper that basically... You know, it's a very deliberate ploy, you know, tinkering. He looked at the first three games, maybe, thought, do you know what? These are games that we should win. And basically, I'm just going to try a few things here. You know, sort of basically, you know, where's Havertz going to play? Where, you know, what about the the, the um, midfield, you know, can party start and sort of kind of, you know, right back then push into midfield? You know, where where where's the best for Rice, you know? And and those sort of things. I think it might just even out a little bit against United uh, on Sunday. You know, I, I can understand the frustration from the fans. I really can. Arteta's tinkering because if you take nine points, fine. But if you drop two points against Fulham in a game that you really expected to win at home, then you know, as Andy mentioned, the, the, the levels at the moment, the pressure is out. You know, is incredible and. You know, you, you can't just easily drop two points at home from stu- stupid goals. I mean, the most ridiculous goals you'll ever see, you know, conceded. But I don't know whether, guys, that's a good thing for, for the Prem, in a way. that We're already talking after three games that dropping points is opening the door for City to run away with it again. That can't be good, guys. I don't know what... Like, like Dunny said, this is a once-in-a-generation team, isn't it? What You know... We've all been privileged to watch a lot of them over the years, and it's you know they are, in my opinion, they're the best team I've seen club wide. And like like Andy referred to, the part of the deal with Copenhagen City is they're so good that teams like Arsenal, Liverpool, and Chelsea, and whoever they know that the pressure is on constantly. Every game has to be you have to be one hundred percent. You have to win it. You can't drop points because ultimately it'll cost you the title if, in the end. Because City are relentless. Especially in the second half of the season, as they showed last season, you know, overall in Arsenal. Because Arsenal were the best team, weren't they, for at least half a season. And they were, you know, they were player at the top. And But even then, because we've got experience of what City do um, in the final months, we all knew, we were all resigned to the fact that they would just haul them in, overtake them, take the title again. And that's exactly what they did. They're all front runners too, City. You know, they, they can lead from the front as well, so... Yeah, it's interesting. We've got a couple of 
Your predictions, Luke Caulfield was coming to Arsenal to win 4-0. Uh, I'm not sure why. <laughs> I admire optimism, Luke, but um, <laughs> yeah, a little bit more of a, a realistic one, perhaps a draw. But um, it should be a really interesting one. Arsenal win 3-1 there as well. But it's, um, I think it'll be interesting. I do think it'll be a real litmus test um, for for both teams, really. I do, I, you know. I think, I don't know, Andy, going back to United, I just don't, I don't know with Ten Hag, you know, Ten Hag, it's left us feeling, hasn't it? I mean, and, uh, you know, where is it going with, 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 the, with the Glazers? Where is it going with the Trent? I mean, this, this is Manchester United. Yeah, but it's also Manchester United. Bear in mind, you know, I mean, it, it's been slightly odd, Ten Hag, really, in that in we've seen him produce performances that, that have been, you know, frankly, the odd one had been quite abysmal. Obviously, the the hammering by Liverpool stands out. The first two games of last season, the hammering by Brentford um, at the uh, GTEC Stadium and obviously the home defeat by Brighton, they stand out as bad performances. Yet, yeah, in the overall picture, they won a trophy and they, and, and they qualified for the Champions League. So that is, in essence, progress. They've won two out of three this season. Um, you know, to me, they've got a fairly decent squad. I don't really... I think some of the negativity does surround, as you mentioned there, the ownership situation, the protests after um, the most recent home game. That adds to the the sense that United is still a club in some sort of turmoil. But on the pitch, realistically, they look to me like a side that are going to create chances. They look to me they've got, I think, a couple of the best players in the league. You know, I mean, for all the people, understandably, find him... Um, a little bit hard to like. Bruno Fernandes, to me, is one of the best attacking midfielders in the Premier League in Europe. He, 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 you know, he genuinely is. It's a shame that he behaves like he does, in fact, because it actually camouflages the fact that he is a very, very influential footballer. Just so his I, doing. Sorry? Just his petulance, his kind of his... His behaviour, yeah. you, you know, the, the, you know, his play-acting... Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. We all know, you, you know, that's the way he is. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of that distracts from the fact that they are actually, you know, they're a decent team. They had a decent season last season, and they will be up there. You know, they are for all their faults in the first three games of this season. They've taken six points from nine, and I genuinely think they've got a good chance against Arsenal. I, I, I just, and I think it's good that I know. I've started this by saying the stands that City set, but it is good that we're looking at Arsenal and Man United, and now we're also looking at Liverpool, Newcastle probably, maybe Newcastle, maybe Chelsea, we're not sure. But in theory, we've still got a core of teams who are setting very high standards. Obviously, the standards that City are setting are just almost off the scale. But, you know, I, I, I fully expect, you know, these teams to keep the pressure on City, and it'll be fascinating to see how it goes um, at, at the Emirates. I, I genuinely think the United are still, I say, we'll see what the last, whatever, whatever it is now, 36, 14 hours of the transfer window brings. Um, and and I think they'll be strong. You know, I, I, I do think reports of their turmoil are quite exaggerated. Yeah. Wow, I'm 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 admiring your admiring your face. Uh, admiring your face. It's a main main problem on Saturday, yeah. Sunday. Will Sunday. be um, 
how to stop Saka because Shaw's injured, Malassia's injured. They may sign a left back um, before the window shuts. But even if they do, whoever that happens to be, that's going to be quite a debut and a big ask for someone to come in and, you know, into a makeshift defence because remember, Moran won't be playing. Um, so he's got to pick Adam Maguire or Lindelof, neither of which have started a game this season. They are, let's be honest, they are probably below the standards Tenag wants at centre-back. So, you know, it's a real chance for Arsenal to, you know, get a good get a good win, I think. Yeah, well, we'll see. Yeah, is it be, be interesting? Saka certainly played well, but Arsenal not 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 clicking yet. Let's have a little look at Luton West Ham because I tell you what, you know, for for people of a certain generation, I mean, basic kennel of throw is 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 quite some throwback. I've been there a couple of times actually in the last couple of seasons, so it's um, you know, it brought back loads of memories. But in Premier League terms, I do actually think we've had some. Wonderful stories in the, in the top flight, haven't we? But I think of all the grounds, this is, this is the one to give people a bit of a culture shock, basically. But um, it'll be interesting. I, I just how do you, how do you think, Andy, that basically sort of kind of the um, uh, Luton will will prevail, and indeed, you know, Kenilworth Road will will, will be seen, uh, you know, sort of in Premier League terms. Well, I, I, I think it's really interesting this whole. Um... Sort of focus on on the or essentially on the facilities on the stadium at Kenilworth Road. I think that you know they brought it up to you know quote Premier League standards now. I mean, obviously that's why their first game there was um, was postponed, um, and now it's up to Premier League standards. But you know, I, I, I find that quite ironic because it, it, in a way, I understand why the Premier League has demands on how a stadium should be, the facilities that there should be there, you know, for, for all the cameras, for the media. Everything you were saying standard. We never see a bad Premier League pitch anymore. It's all or whatever. And in a way, that leveling of the playing field is, is just a little bit. It takes the sort of like you know. So there's no way now. If you think, you know, if you think there was a place where a big team. Let's let, let, again. Let's go back to the team we've been talking about a little bit. Manchester City. Where do they go somewhere? Where they'll be say intimidated. Where it'll be the playing field will be slightly leveled, where the surface will be not very good, where facilities will there'll be cold showers. You know, I'm going back to the days the John games, where the cold showers, where they'll be whatever. Where will they go? <laughs> there isn't anywhere anymore. There's nowhere that a big team can go to where they will find the atmosphere or the facilities or the environment intimidating. Kenilworth Road will be the pitch will be immaculate. The welcome will be will be the facilities will be great because they have to be with Premier League standards. And in a way, that's a little bit of a shame. Yes, there will be a <coughs> excuse me, a a novelty value. I mean, you know, and that novelty value of, of going through the terraced houses to get into the stadium will soon wear off. We've seen enough already, haven't we? Like if, if that's one picture we've seen once, we've seen it a thousand times. So so we know that. But then once you get into the stadium, once you know everything's then it it's it just a little bit of shame. So that's why no one is thinking that the Kenilworth, there will be a, quote, Kenilworth Road factor. There won't be in terms of teams going there and having to get used to a different type of stadium from the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, from the Etihad, from the Emirates. Yes, but, you know, it, 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 in the end, it won't carry that sort of fear factor, which 
And you would hope, let's face it, that's what they're relying on. I mean, I mean, you know, without patronizing the entire, that is what they are relying on is that is to have home environments that will hopefully give them an extra few points will hopefully help to that. But I just don't see it that way. I don't see teams anymore going to grounds where they think, you know, blimey, we don't want to go there. Like, you know, um, I think, you know, it, it, I mean, hopefully it will. Hopefully it will give them that and it'll be a great atmosphere for their first Premier League game. It's a special occasion. But will West Ham go there and be in any way, um, in any way, put off their rhythm, put off their, 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 their challenge by that? I don't think so. No, it's interesting you say about the pitch because the one one observation I make on that, I completely agree about the style of the pitch, but the perimeter of the pitch, I might be getting a bit bit nerdy here. But basically, it's so tight. It's so tight to the stadium. You're not going to tell me you've measured it out, are you? No, I'm not really. But I'll tell you that there's so many grounds now that are expanding or or kind of a, a you know huge sort of that, that basically you've got I don't know. It's so much room either side, and the base you can use the flanks more. And but, but I actually think Luton, you just you just won't. You know, you, as soon as you step over over the white line, you're in the crowd basically. And you know, it's a little quirk thing, but also you've got the fans on top of you. I, I'm a bit of an old romantic, and and I tell you what, I, I just think Luton. I know, I know, it's become a bit of a cliche, really, about the Kenworth Road and everything like that. This is a club that's in the process of moving grounds, right? They've basically got big plans, you know, for the future and trying to sort of do this. But in the meantime, they've done their absolute level best to kind of make Kenilworth Road Premier League sort of standard. You know, if you go to go to that club, I get an all misty eyed here. They basically make you feel incredibly welcome. They make you basically, you, you know, you go behind the scenes. They've got kind of club legends sort of around and basically still involved. It's just a really, really nice setup. And I just think it's it's you know it's one that I think is going to kind of you know capture a little bit of imagination this year. But I just think, wow! Imagine having them to improve, dramatically improve, cause spending millions on a ground that you're just about to leave or overly leave. You know, it's just it's just, it, it, you know it's the pressures of running a modern club, I guess, and sort of kind of you you, you love an intimate setting, Derry Crossley. Oh, I do, I do, Jeremy. Yeah, I do. You know, oh. Especially with you, pal. Especially with you. Yeah, you've done it right. And it's like that that whole uniqueness of, of Kenilworth Road as it was should be allowed to be part of the whole picture of Loom actually being in the top fly. You know, that 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 is that should be one of their great assets. You know, like very different reasons. When you go to Anfield, for example, that is one of Liverpool's great assets, especially on European nights. You know, we've been there when they come from behind to beat. Barcelona and the like, and you know the same principle applies obviously in different circumstances for Luton. And sadly, some of that's probably been taken away. And also, a lot of these players, Man City players, United players, have all played at lesser grounds in the cups and stuff down the years. So, you know, it won't be, you know, it might feel a bit novel for ten minutes, but that'll wear off. Yeah, yeah, no, it's interesting. I remember Wimbledon and Plough Lane, I mean, going there years and years ago. What a great experience, you know, and sort of thing. It's just, I don't know, I, I'm a bit, 
you know, I just don't want to see that that old school ground die away. And frankly, I you know, you look at you look at sort of kind of sort of League One, League Two clubs, which obviously, you know, you get a little bit of that in in the in the FA Cup, don't you? And it's sort of the uh, sort of third round, and fourth round, or whatever. But then you also see the more modern grounds like Doncaster last night, and it's 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 just different, isn't it? And it's got a different setup. They're even either drastically improved and becoming being moulded into new modern stadiums, or it's a complete new stadium. You know, take your take your pick, really. But e- either way, the, that the Kenilworth Roads of this world are dying out. So you know, I do hope they, I do hope they have some sort of wonderful. Um, wonderful memories to set in this Premier League season, but um, but there you go. we should look at Liverpool, Aston Villa. I do think this is another good one actually, and a bit of a battle for top four. I, I am actually going to ed- ed- edit this at some point because I tell you what, guys, it's the battle for top five. You know, English clubs. It's the Champions League draw today. English clubs would have to have a spectacular fail for them not to have five teams in the in the new the Champions League next season. So brace yourself. But I tell you what. It, you know, Liverpool did show a lot of mental strength at, at, at Newcastle last week. Where, where, where do we think they're going, guys? Do they still need something in midfield? I suspect they do. Yeah, but and, and possibly. I mean, if they could add um, an extra sort of holding but defensive-minded midfield, there, that would be great. But listen, I, I think the pill are going places. I really do. I think, I think that they've got. I think the signs they made. Already are okay. I think. I think. I think they're quite good. I think had they beaten Chelsea and got Casado in, that probably would have been you know the perfect summer for them in, in, in many ways. But I also think they've got players in there who are in in their second season or developing. You, you know, and so I was stunned that Darwin Nunes didn't start um, any of the first three Premier League games. But I certainly wasn't stunned when he came on and scored two against Newcastle because I think he'll be a hell of a player. I really do. I think he's going to be a start. Liverpool going forward um, and Gakpo's fine it, it, it obviously it went under not under the radar because they did the business so early signing of McAllister was great um, Liverpool have shown before that they can bounce back from a poor season and have a great one when a couple of seasons ago of course three seasons ago they had 60 odd points and then pushed City right to the wire for the title the season before last um, I think they're in good shape they're in good shape listen I think I think it would be a huge blow if, if, and you know, we can't rule it out. Uh, Mohamed Salah went to Saudi Arabia before their transfer deadline, their transfer window closes. Um, hopefully that won't happen. I don't think it will, but you know, there is still a chance. Um, assuming he doesn't, I think Liverpool will be right up there. But Sunday's test against Villa will be a really good one as well. Because, because I, I, I saw Villa. Um, on the first weekend of the season, I went up to the game um, against Newcastle when they were beaten 5-1. But you know what? That wasn't a 5-1. I was hugely impressed by them for long periods of that game. It was one of those games where at 2-1, they were well in it. They could have equalised. Um, and then they just got caught three times on the break. The system was disrupted when Mings were off injured. Um It'll be a serious test. I think that'll be a cracking game. And, and 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 you're right when you say now it'll be a battle for the top five. And what's good is that we'll have one or two teams. If we go back to the old, remember we used to have the old um, big six um, cartel that, that we thought. Well, I think you're now adding Newcastle and probably Villa to that. 
if Spurs are still in there, if we're accepting they're still in there, and then you know, and you're talking eight teams. I think I do think I generally think the Newcastle and Villa will compete with um the six we've mentioned. That's assuming Spurs are in that six and Chelsea after last season in that six. And I do think we might have sort of eight teams and then a, a separation to the other dozen. I, I, I really do. And I think Liverpool and Villa will both be up there. Um, I think Villa's strike, striking options are fantastic. I think in Ollie Watkins, I think at the moment is one of the best strikers in the Premier League in terms of, um, okay, he's also... Premier goals, he may not be up there, but in terms of his all-round play and Lincoln plays fantastic. Um, and obviously, you know, Emery, you know, is, is proving his doubts is wrong. I mean, as we probably all of us here probably knew he would. So, you know, great game, and um, and and for both sets of fans, should be extremely positive about the way things are going to shape up this season. This is your beauty, lavish praise on Emery, Crossy. You know, I, I just think it, it, it underlines the fact that basically I, I think with every manager, with every opportunity and club, you know, it, it's got to be, t- it's all about timing and circumstance. You know, I think he's, you know, I think he'll do really well at Villa and um, and, and set the team up. I think it's interesting then that basically, you know, he's done some ambitious deals, this, you know, eye-catching transfers, the obvious to make an impression, isn't he? And basically he's got, he's got to, you know, He's just got to find a sort of system and, and indeed a, a formation and a tactic and, a, and an identity that I think sometimes is, is, is lacking. But, you know, you can't say that anything else than for the past year or so, then that basically he hasn't, he hasn't you know, shown great signs that that's on its way and he's here to stay for Villa. Yeah, it's like a group of players have really bought into his... Oh, don't they, Justin? And, and talking, getting all misty-eyed and stuff about, you know, Villa Park in Europe. You know, European nights under the lights. What special is that? You know, so it's fantastic that you know in his first kind of first period of time, you know, back at uh, sort of English football and at Villa, he's gone back into Europe. What an achievement! Astonishing, you know. And that's him all over, isn't it? He's just the king of the king of you know sort of European competition. So I'm sure he'll do well in it. You know, just through his approach. But um, it'll be it'll be interesting, guys. It, you know, Liverpool is the other topic. Obviously, big headlines again today about the um, uh, uh, Salah and Saudi Arabia Pro League's pursuit of Salah. You know, can they? I mean, talking the figures are incredible for for you know contract and indeed transfer fee. But let's flip it on its head. Is it is it one that Liverpool can afford to do, Andy? Where, where where do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see the chance for it? And would it does it make any sense? Oh, oh, I see a chance. I really do see a chance. I mean, because the figures, you know, both for Liverpool for the club and for the player himself, obviously, are just you know they're unimaginable. And 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 from a club's point of view, you know, um, if the player. You know, as I said, will get his head turned by such incredible figures and suggest he wants to go. Then, you know, no club, no matter what they say. I mean, we 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 all turn around and we all say, well, actually, you know, clubs should make a stance and keep a players under contract if they don't want to sell. And we all say that. That's in an ideal world. You know, that's what we all think the clubs should say. Okay, in the same way, for example, that you know, I don't know, say say Wolves say it was 
about Mateus Nunes. Well, you're under contract for years. We don't want to sign you, etc. And he says he wants to go. In the end, they end up going. And is there any point in any walk of life, in any employment, if an employee wants to go somewhere else and is distinctly on, you know, as Anders had turned, his or her head turned, then we know what happens in the end. So if Salah actually turns around and says, listen, you know, I actually want to go to Saudi, I want to go in, whatever it is. I mean, who knows? You know, you name your own feet, name your own figures. Then Liverpool will be in a position where they, they would think, well, okay, well, if we can get X amount for him, you know, for a player who is in his 30s, who we are committed to spending a lot of money on in terms of wages for the next, uh, um, his contract runs for three or four years, if we're going to get 100 plus million for him, it's unbelievable money. You know, it's unbelievable money. So, yes, I can see it happening. I think it would be, um, I think Liverpool and Klopp in particular would be low for it to happen between now and the end of the transfer window. Obviously, the Saudi transfer window extends a little bit longer. Um, I think it would have an effect on their season. But can I see it happening? I mean, I mean, quite simply, yes, I can see it happening. I, I, I really can. And from Sal's point, I mean, listen, from a player's point of view, it would be, it would be, you know, it would be odd in the sense that, you know, well, you know, he's got a legacy here to complete in in the Premier League and in European football, in Champions League football. Obviously, they're not in that this season. Bear that in mind. But you know, all these things we talk about, legacy, you know, this, that, and the other, they're all literally the figures to blow those things out the water, don't they? Even even if Salah did leave tomorrow, he'd still leave a legacy, wouldn't he? He's been one of the great players of the Premier League. No, I think the timing is not great for him. I'll be honest. I mean, listen, you know, you only you only have to speak to people around to basically to understand the significance of signing Salah for the Saudi Pro League because of what he means, you know, in in that part of the world and basically, you know, what he would do. Um, and I just think he would be an absolute game changer and the biggest signing, the biggest coup yet, even including Cristiano Ronaldo. There can be no doubt about that. But I just feel as if it would be a very difficult, uh, sorry, very different conversation if it were in a year's time, just because of his age. I mean, it's, you know, year's time, you're talking about no-brainer territory if someone comes in and chucks you a hundred million pound plus, you know, for Salah. But I mean, now it's just not great timing. And it basically, you know, and he leaves you in the lurch. Hey, listen, they, you know, they, they sing, don't they? I mean, they sing the song, you, you know, Salah, and they love him and he's the Egyptian king. And maybe that won't change, but it would just, you think, oh. He's a legend. He's a legend. And basically, yeah, when you say Salah would still leave a legacy, he would. He'd be the, the legacy leave is, is a player who walked out of Anfield um, in his prime and went to relative obscurity. When he's in his prime, it'd it, it, leave a legacy, mate, but it wouldn't be a good one. No, I'm inclined to agree. I mean, I tell you what, guys, I, you know, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? I don't know if anyone follows the, he's been following the Roberto Mancini story. I mean, it's just astonishing. You know, I'm amazed it hasn't really sort of kind of made, we've been so busy with our pages back here, basically, and just sort of made it, basically, it hasn't sort of made more newsprint here, but it's, you know, just basically, it's, they are just plucking people left, right, and centre. And it's, you know, they don't, people don't have to go. 
you know, get memo. You don't have to take the money, basically. Oh, it's just a power of money, don't it, Crossy? We've seen it. Time and time and time. Well, what about, what about, what about domestic transfers between players in the UK? Just, yeah. Uh, you know, listen. I just, I just feel I've been a bit soft in the past on basically on kind of a, a few things, like, you know, talking about, you know, sort of kind of state ownership and sort of, you know, sports washing and what have you. I just, I just feel like if you ever needed proof, it's now. It's like they've won. It's now. It's not. It's now. It's now. You're not the devil incarnate if you go to the Saudi program. You know, it's just, and and that means that they've won. You know, let, let's not pull any punches here. Well, the so, more times it happens, the less impact it, it, it has in that respect. Do you know yeah, what I mean? I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, it's heading towards being the norm. Oh, another player's gone to play. Yeah, I mean, Ronaldo started it. Ronaldo, in a way, you can sort of, you know, start and made it acceptable. But it goes deeper than that, you know? And it's, it's ownership and it's acceptability and it's it's wrong. Look at look at the human rights. It's just not right. And John, yeah, I mean, you, you'll be there. And Jeremy, you'll be there this afternoon when when Gareth Southgate names his squad and should he name, for example, Jordan Henderson. Henderson was England's de facto um, leader in terms of what stance, if you can call it a stance in the end, because it didn't turn out to be a stance, did it at all, um, against um, 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 human rights um, violations he became that leader. He became the leader of of that particular um, um, attitude, in theory, from England. And 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 then he's gone to Saudi, and he might well be named in Gareth Southgate's squad this afternoon. What sort of message does that send out? You know, I mean, I mean, it, you know, is he is he going to have the the one love rainbow armband don't play for England? Of course not. You know, and 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 you're right, and that makes it acceptable. Even when I talk about Liverpool and how Salah would taint his legacy. Well, he could turn around and say, look, some of the legends of this club, Stephen Gerrard, you know, you can't get a, 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 a more, um, you know, a golden legend than, than Stephen Gerrard. He's out there. Robbie Fowler's out there. It has, you're right, John, it just become acceptable. Um, we'll probably all be out there in 2030 covering a World Cup. Yeah. I thought you were going to say one of those painful things. And the next journalist it does to me, you know. He'll be there this Christmas, boys, for the club. A former colleague of mine keeps on saying, yeah, but if they offered you 10 times what you're on now, you'd be going, I really wouldn't. <laughs> we're not going to, by the way, but I really wouldn't. So <laughs> you turn down 10 million a year. <laughs> I knew he was going to get that. Yeah, oh, very good, very good. 20, I think you're fine. Um, anyway, moving on to Manchester City. And, um, you, you know, we've spoken about Cole Palmer. But I tell you what, the signing Nunes, you know, this week, we're going to finish on, on this one. Because I tell you what, it, we're wrapping up the transfer window. We're wrapping up the show, but we're wrapping up the transfer window Friday. Nunes, how, how, how does that play out? That's a proper old school going on strike, refusing to play to force a move, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And, 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 and as it happens, because, you know, this has flown by, we were actually talking about Cole Palmer before we actually came on air. Um, and, you know, to me, I just, I look at it, I don't get it. You know, and listen, who are we to question Manchester City's transfer policy, which has, in the main, in the main, probably been um, very good. You know, the other exception part, Calvin Phillips, for example, stands out that way. But to me, you know, you to to, to go on and, and get Nunes from Wolves, you know, 
I mean, from what I've seen of him, he's been okay. He looks, you know, a decent player, but mid-20s, and you've got who is still a prospect. Cole Palmer is still a prospect. Okay, he's 21, and he hasn't had much Premier League experience, but you think, well, actually, you know, and everything he stands for, you know, if City have got this fantastic academy set up in the same way as Chelsea, fantastic, and surely it means something to bring one of your own through. I mean, surely. Instead, they're going to get Nunes, they're selling Palmer, we assume it will go through today. Everyone seems to think it will go through today or tomorrow. They're selling Palmer to Chelsea for a, a bizarrely big fee, considering he's played, I think it's about eight hours of Premier League football. And I don't think he scored, has he? Or I think he's got one assist. It just all is a bit bizarre to me. I I, I just find it I find it odd. I mean, I, I, again, they normally get things more often than not, they get things right in the transfer market, says he, for the right price as well, by the way. But this little um, exchange of transfers, I find really, really odd. Yeah. See, that, we, 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 all we ever talk about is football and and, and the work and work and, and and transfers and stuff. I could have thought, could have sworn we were talking on the on the show about Cole Palmer, but obviously not. But, um, but yeah. maybe we did. Maybe I've done that. Merges into one, you see. We enjoy it so much, you see. But yeah, I, I, you know, maybe, maybe, Jeremy, I don't know what you think about this, but you know, if he's basically thinking Cole Palmer, you know, um, he, he's thinking, will he get enough game time? Is he far enough down the line? Have we lost experience? Do I need to sign, you know, replace Palmer with a with a player who's got that bit more? Experience who's got that little bit who's a bit further down the line. Can he guarantee? But I mean, I find the Palmer one really, really amazing because I think that Palmer's such a good player and so much potential, as we were saying. But I mean, they they are pretty, pretty ruthless with with, with this one. Let's go on all levels. This because yeah. like, I mean, I'm repeating what Andy's already said. But a he's come. They've spent all that money on him, bringing him through the academy. You know, a la Phil Foden, if you like. From what I've seen of him, he looks a great player. He's obviously got a big future. But, but you know, why are Chelsea spending so much money on a player with so little experience who's proved nothing so far? A player who plays in the same position as countless other players play at Chelsea. You know, they spend pretty much more on Palmer than Liverpool spent on signing McAllister who's won a World Cup. So that proves how... Utterly bonkers, the transfer market has now become. But the bottom line is that maybe Guardiola's decided he's not going to make cut the mustard at City. He's not. He's not as good as Foden. He's not going to be. He's not going to be that player he, he thought he would be. And if Chelsea are mad enough to spend forty-five million on him, let him go. If he if he really wanted to keep Palmer, he'd, he'd have sent him out on loan somewhere for a season to build up his experience and then take him back next season. But clearly, Guardiola doesn't think he's going to. He's going to make the standards there. Which are incredible standards, granted, but <laughs> they are incredible standards. It, 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 it's like just you, you, you're right. It's like you mentioned Foden, and it's almost as though the only players who are going to come through City's unbelievable academy are are players who are essentially world class. I mean, and I mean, I mean, I mean, the only player that, that, that really comes to and establish himself, Phil Foden, you know, has to be world class to get in there. It was Rico Lewis, isn't it? But he, he, yeah, he, but he, but he used to look at the last season. Well, exactly. And and, and realistically, you, you know, Rico Lewis, yes. And other players, Palmer's played, you know, McAtee has had the odd outing. And I think he's a sensational player, McAtee. But, but really, 
what are the chances of him actually coming through and establishing himself? I'd, pretty, I'd say probably slim and none, but Guardiola has this thing where he's not, he doesn't see the idea that how it, now listen, I'm not saying that Liverpool is any different, but I, th- I think Liverpool maybe has more of a, a sense of like, you know, the importance. Manchester United, for example, that's probably a better example. They have this stat of always bringing through um, a, a, a youth team player and an academy player, and that's important to them. I think Pep Guardiola is quite honest. He says, well, you know what? That's that's not really, it's great, but it's not really that important to him. Basically, you've got to be, as a youth team player, at, coming through that academy, absolutely world-class. And he doesn't see Palmer, clearly he's, he's quite happy for Palmer to be sold. I think he'd probably be happy in the long term. If McAtee actually, you know, doesn't, Obviously, we're happy he doesn't make it, but he was selling. And it, and it's the other thing about it is what I don't get with these transfer fees is that, in essence, financial fair play was brought in to encourage you to not just go out and spend big money on players, but to bring your own players through. Now, what it seems to be happening with City, with Chelsea, those two clubs in particular, is actually having an academy to essentially nurture players who you then sell. Great, an asset. So you're actually selling players. I mean, I mean, you all are tired. I mean, I mean, bear in mind, Manchester City, as you quite rightly say, are going to, assuming a Palmer goes through, they're going to be selling a player who has, again, the stats are he has played eight hours and 15 minutes of Premier League football. He has one assist to his name in the Premier League. He has no goals to his name. And they're selling him for what is believed to be £40 million. Now, I mean, just... Just ask how done, Just you know any better sometimes in the... And I'm talking not about this deal, so don't get me wrong. But if if you didn't if you, if you you didn't know better, you would look at the whole market and think, you know what, sometimes they're just recirculating money to make books balance. Yeah, you know why? Because they've looked at this deal and thought, well, Chelsea are willing to give us 45 million quid to someone who's done nothing in the game. We can use that money to buy an established player in Nunes. It's a no-brainer for City. Why would Chelsea play ball with that? Well, listen, that's a different debate altogether. Yeah. Yeah. Two, two, two quick takeaways, two quick takeaways before we say goodbye. Is that basically, A, I've got this weird thing about Man City in that basically... I actually applaud the academy is the best in the world. I applaud them if they're bringing through young players, even if they don't make it at Man City for the good of the English game. I know, shoot me now, but I, that, that's you know I do feel that that's a legitimate, almost a coach industry side side business. But there you go, I'll take on it, you know. And um, and then also I tell you what the the accountant at Chelsea just deserves. It, it, you know, just deserves so much. I mean, it's just the biggest bonus ever, as long as it doesn't break through the FFP barrier. Because if, if they're if they're getting all this done, all this done with their ins and outs and still making the sums work, the guy's a genius, miracle worker. Call him what you like, but there you go. Anyway, speaking of miracle workers, well, here you go. I was on about that yesterday. <laughs> Speaking of miracle workers and geniuses, boys, it's been nice to have you. So nice to see you back. Have a good one. And we'll see you same time, place, same place next week. <laughs>